You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. We do give you praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your presence here, for the way that you have enabled us to gather to worship you. And we praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. And we ask now, Lord, as we prepare to hear your word read and preached, that you would give us soft hearts and open ears, that we would hear what you want us to hear, and that you would enable us to respond as you want us to respond. And I do ask, Lord God, that you would please keep me out of your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm one of the pastors here. And I do want to address the question you're probably having about my appearance. Yes, my pants are blue. Uh, Also, in Mexico, it is tradition for me to change the color of my hair. And so that is why I look like this. Those of you watching online do not need to adjust your screens. It really is this color. Um, And it's a fun thing for the summer. And for this summer, we have gathered together as the people of God here each week in a sermon series called Pointing to the Promise, where we've been looking at Old Testament stories that many of us are familiar with. And we've been seeing God's faithfulness to his people in those stories about how he's made promises, how he's kept those promises. And those promises and those stories are bigger than the story themselves. They are part of the bigger story of God's redemption of the entire world, of all of his creation. The promise God has made to make all things new. These stories, they're signs that give God's people hope. They gave hope to God's people as in the time of scripture, and they give hope to us as well, seeing how God has kept his promises and how he will keep his promises. They give us hope in our current circumstances that in the midst of what we're going through, whether the good things or the challenging things, God is with us in the midst of them. And in all of this, he's bringing about the ultimate promise of renewing things and making them the way they're supposed to be. And so today we're looking at the story of Ruth. And Ruth is one of those stories in scripture where it's it's easy actually to fall into the trap of thinking this is a nice moral story, right? Where the idea, the moral of the story is be kind and good things can happen to you. And that's certainly a part of Ruth that God's kindness is evident in the way that the people interact and even in the way God interacts in the story but it's more than just about being kind. It is is about God keeping his promise of redemption. And our scripture today is gonna come from the end of the story of Ruth. And so what I wanna do right now is hopefully quickly and clearly summarize um, the story up to this point. Ruth takes place in a time in Israel's history that is known as the time of the judges. And if you read the book of Judges, you'll see there's a phrase that's said several times throughout it where Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. A lot of people consider this a dark time in the history of Israel. And so the the first chapter of Ruth, and, and really the whole story of Ruth, is part of the background is this time of the judges. And we're told about a family of four 
a man named Elimelech, a woman, his wife named Naomi, and their two sons. And they lived in Bethlehem, but there's a famine in the land. And so they move to another country. They move to Moab. While they're in Moab, Elimelech dies. Now the two sons go on and they, they marry two Moabite women. And after about 10 years of living there, both of the sons die. And none of them have any children at this point. That leaves Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws as widows. Now, Naomi hears that the famine in Bethlehem ends, and so she decides to go back to Bethlehem. One of her daughters-in-law stays in Moab, but the other one, Ruth, goes with her. And while they are back in Bethlehem, Ruth meets a man named Boaz, and he is a distant relative of Naomi, which will play a significant role in the story. And Ruth and Boaz, they enter into a relationship. It probably wouldn't be shown on the Hallmark Channel, uh, their, their relationship, but it does end in marriage. And that's where our story, our scripture picks up today. So let's hear God's word from Ruth chapter four, verses 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The, woman's, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to um, walk the halls of the mall since we've been here. Uh, if you've done that, you may have noticed just down that way a little bit, there is a Star Wars store. Everything in the store is dedicated to Star Wars. And it probably comes as no surprise to many of you that since we've moved here, I've been there a few times. Uh, every time I go in, it's a, a great trip down memory lane uh, for me. The, he has action figures from the 70s and 80s that I remember playing with when I was a kid, as well as some of the newer things. And as I was looking at some of the original figures that he had still in the original packaging, and I will only ever look at them because you know, he's charging hundreds of dollars for them. But as I was looking at one of them, I was reminded of how um, I obtained some of my action figures as a kid because on one of the packages of these figures was a promo that um, was saying, send in five UPC symbols and you can get a free Emperor Palpatine action figure, not available in stores. And so what I had to do was take five card backs from my Star Wars figures, cut out the symbols, put them in the mail, and then wait six to eight weeks <laughs> to get this action figure that I could not have on my own. And what I was doing was I was redeeming this action figure from action figure purgatory or wherever it was trapped so that it could be used as it was intended to be used. And as I was thinking about the story of Ruth and the action figure redemption, the theme of redemption came through so clearly in this story. It is one of the major themes of Ruth, this, this, theory, this issue of redemption, this theme of redemption. In fact, the word redeem, Redeemer and redemption is used 23 times in the 85 verses that make up Ruth. And so as we think about redemption this morning, I want us just to simply think about what is redemption, how is it achieved, and what difference does it make? 
So what is redemption? Our culture has an understanding of redemption. Um, it's, it's usually actually used, I hear it a lot, this word used a lot in athletics, right? Where a player or participant may have done something not so great at the beginning of the competition, perhaps made an error, dropped a pass, stepped out of bounds, did something like that. But then later on in the competition goes on and does something great. And oftentimes the announcers will say, well, they really redeemed themselves, right? That is the, the understanding that's out there. Um, even in the, the meditation that went out on Thursday um, that, that I wrote, I talked about uh, receiving a failing grade in school and then trying to redeem myself in the next marking period by working even harder. Uh, we have this idea in our culture that, that we can redeem ourselves. By doing good things, by making amends, we are able to make up for the bad thing that we had done or that had happened, and we redeem ourselves. And when we think about redemption in that way, it becomes very individualistic. Um, it becomes very self-centered and it puts all of the action on us. And truthfully, in our culture, that's kind of the way we like it. We like being in charge of things like that. But if that is how we see redemption, we really miss out on what redemption is truly about. Now, just because we're at church, though, it, it doesn't mean that we also fully grasp this idea of what redemption is. Because redemption is one of those like big church words that is used an awful lot. We've probably used it an awful lot. But sometimes when a word is a big word like that, it gets used so often we all assume everybody knows what it, what it means when perhaps that may not be true for all of us. And so when it becomes part of our church vernacular, and we use it so often, but don't understand, we still can miss the point. Maybe our cultural understanding of redemption has creeped in. Or frankly, because it's used so often, we're just embarrassed to admit we don't fully understand what it means. And if that's where you are, that's okay. But what we need to do as the people of God is we do need to understand what this word means more and more. And as mentioned in the scripture this morning, in verse 14, Boaz is called a guardian redeemer. And what that means for Ruth and for Naomi is that Boaz was a distant relative of Naomi. And because he was a distant relative of hers and she was a widow and had a widow daughter-in-law, um, Boaz was by law obligated to buy any land that, she, that Naomi might own. And, and I put that in air quotes because in that time, women were not really able to own property. Her husband had owned it. Um, and because it was connected to her, Boaz had the opportunity to purchase the, the field that she owned. And because, or, And so when he would do that, it was for the purpose of keeping Elimelech's name going on um, and his son's name going on, which was a huge deal uh, in the Israelite culture at that time. And the way that the name would continue on is in purchasing the field, Boaz would also be obligated to marry Ruth. And so when they would have a child, the child would technically not be Boaz's child, but would belong to the line of Ruth's first husband. And what that did was it brought security and provision for the future for Ruth and for Naomi, for the widow. Now, so Boaz was going to buy this field out of a state of limbo. He'd get it and he'd add it to the land that he already owned. He didn't inherit it. He had to pay for it. And there was a cost that was involved for him. And so he paid for this field. He redeemed it from the state of limbo. 
bought it back and brought it into the line of his family. And so that's a key part of this idea and understanding of redemption. It is a buying back of something to bring it back into the line, back into the place where it was originally intended to be. I heard a story um, told by a, a pastor. He grew up near a thrift shop and um, there were times where he would walk by the thrift shop and he'd see things from his bedroom in the thrift shop that he did not remember putting in the thrift shop. Uh, his parents did. And clearly he and his parents probably had a conversation about that, but he would stop and stare at his items in the thrift shop window and he'd have to think, is that worth it to me to buy back something that was already mine? It was his, it was no longer his, he had to buy it back. That was, that was what he had to do. And that is part of redemption, a buying back of something to make it ours again. A second key part of the understanding of redemption though, is the way that it was typically used. Yes, it was used in the buying back of property to redeem it, but it was predominantly used in relation to freeing a slave from his or her obligation, from his or her slavery. What, what a person would do would be buying the slave's freedom, setting them free from bondage, giving them a life of freedom, a life that perhaps they would not have been able to earn on their own because in biblical times, you could work your way out of slavery. But buying a person's freedom there accelerated the pace of their freedom and gave them a new life, one that maybe seemed distant at best. And so the idea of buying back and buying freedom is essential for redemption. It's giving a new life, a life of freedom that people wouldn't have known otherwise. Now, what's so fascinating and wonderful about the story of Ruth is that Ruth was an outsider. She was a Moabite widow. And so to the Israelites, Moabite women, they, um, they didn't have a great reputation. They were actually considered about in the same category as prostitutes. Yet Boaz did not care about that. And so he redeemed the land and redeemed Ruth, giving her a new life that she would not have been able to have because of the culture that she grew up in on her own, a life of freedom for both her and for Naomi. And so redemption is being bought back with a strong emphasis on being set free from slavery and brought into a new life. But how does this happen? How, how is redemption achieved? Well, as I mentioned before, I know I like to try to redeem myself. I think people in general, we like to redeem ourselves. I find that I try to make up for something I've done wrong by my actions so I can make myself look better. I can fix a problem that I've created. I can set myself free from the mistakes I've made. We see this play out all the time in relationships. Perhaps a boyfriend says something to his girlfriend that is not received well. And so the next time they see one another, there's flowers for her or something else that she likes, right? We think we can redeem ourselves. But Ruth and Naomi, because of the culture they grew up in, they realized they had very limited ability to redeem themselves. They knew the situation they were in because they were widows, because they were women. They had very little opportunity to redeem themselves. Now, I do have to say, while Boaz does play a significant role in redemption here in this story, it's not like Ruth was this passive damsel in distress. She took great action. She did everything in her power and even beyond some of the cultural limitations that existed in order to get Boaz to do the things that he needed to do. She did not just sit back and say, woe is me and let Boaz do everything. She took action 
as a strong woman in this story, and God used her in powerful ways. So it wasn't all Boaz. Um, Ruth was huge in helping bring God's truth of redemption into this, into this story. But even with the steps that she took, she still had very little control over how Boaz would respond or what he would do. And it's interesting, um, when you have a chance to read all of Ruth, Boaz actually wasn't the first guardian redeemer out there. There was another relative who was a little bit closer uh, in relationship to Naomi than Boaz was. But as Boaz lays out the situation about buying the field, this unnamed man um, says, I will do that. But then when he found out that he had to marry Ruth as well, this unnamed man went, wait, that's going to affect me financially. It's going to cause me to have to spread my inheritance out a little more. I'm not taking that risk. I'm not taking that cost. I'm backing out. You go ahead and take this deal. The unnamed man who remains unnamed, we don't know who he is. He's not famous except for being unnamed, stepped away from something that God ended up using in an amazing and powerful way. And we see the, in the scripture we read, the women saying, may this person's name be made known through all of history. And Boaz's name is known through all of history because he stepped in and made the act of redemption even when there was a great cost to it. Ruth and Naomi, Boaz, they're not truly able to redeem themselves. We are not truly able to redeem ourselves. And scripture is very clear about this. In Isaiah 64, 6, we are told that our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Those good things we do to try to make our names clearer and better. It's like giving God a box of dirty tissues as a gift saying, please accept me. In Ephesians 2, it says that we're dead in our sins and transgressions. We're dead in our sins and transgressions. We can't do anything when we're dead. There's nothing that we can do. It's only God who is able to redeem us. And we see this promise of redemption realized in verse 13. Verse 13 says that the Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. And that in and of itself is amazing. As a a person who has um, our family struggled with having children at a time, we know that it is God who enables conception to happen. And so when we see God working in this way, it is an amazing thing. And after 10 years of living in Moab with no children, all of a sudden now Ruth is able to conceive. Clearly, God was doing something amazing here. And in fact, this is one of two times in the whole book of Ruth where God is said to directly act. The other time was when he brought the famine to end in Bethlehem. And what that shows God doing is two things that even today, human beings have little to no control over. But God was clearly working the act of redemption in other ways. And it's always God who acts when it comes to redemption. He's always the one who moves first. Depending on the translation you're looking at, you may see the phrase, it just so happened, appear in Ruth. And what that means is that God was working in subtle ways. He was working in behind the scenes kinds of ways to bring about the situation that needed to happen in order for redemption to occur the way that God wanted it to. God was working his big plan in small ways all throughout this book. And God works to bring about the redemption of Ruth and Naomi here, but also the redemption of his people. Our scripture ended with a mini genealogy. Obed, Ruth's son, was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And David was used by God 
to bring Israel into a place of flourishing. For a time, they were redeemed from a life of oppression and, and struggle from the people around them to a time where Israel flourished. Through David, a man after God's own heart, God worked to bring Israel to the place he wanted them to be. And then from David, we have the opportunity to see that generations later, Jesus came from that family line. And through Jesus, all people, all of God's people are redeemed. All of God's people are set free from the slavery to sin. All of us are given freedom. Because we, and we need this because our sin, no matter how small, it brings us separation from God. It makes us a slave. And nothing we can give or do can get us out of that situation. We can't redeem ourselves. But Jesus bought us back. He paid the price through his death on the cross. In John 19.30, while Jesus is on the cross, he says, it is finished. And part of the meaning of the word um, finished in Greek there, it, it means to pay. As in your account's been settled. There's no more debt. The payment's been made. We've been bought back by Jesus. We've been redeemed. And there is nothing, nothing can change the fact that we are redeemed by Jesus. And the story of Ruth points to this redemption, redemption of those who believe in Jesus. But it also shows us how God's work of redemption plays out in the smaller everyday ways. In ways like Ruth's faithful love for Naomi, God brought redemption. Through Boaz's integrity and acting as a guardian redeemer was meant to, God brought redemption. Ruth and Boaz's marriage brought a child and God brought redemption. It's in the common ways, the everyday things, the small things, the things that seem insignificant at the time, acts of faithfulness that God used to work his plan for the redemption of all creation. And it's God's promise. It's his covenantal faithfulness that brought redemption to his people the people we read about in scripture, and for us today. Now, we could easily sit here and, and hear this, maybe go, I've heard this before. What does this really mean for me? How does this impact my life? How does this impact our life together? That's an important question for us to think about. Does our redemption, does your redemption make a difference in the way that we, or in the way that you live your life? Um, this past Thursday, uh, my two boys were looking for a part of a toy that um, McCray, my oldest, had lost. And McCray was fairly certain that he wasn't going to be able to find it. And uh, this part of the toy was important to him. He really wanted it to be found, but he didn't have a whole lot of hope about it. And because the situation was so desperate, McCray asked me to help, and he also asked his five-year-old brother, William, to help find it. And actually, after about a minute of searching... Uh, we were on our hands and knees looking through carpets and, and all this stuff. After about a minute, William found this piece of the toy and he gave it to McCray. And without any, any hesitation, McCray leaped out and gave William a hug. Um, they are affectionate with one another. Sometimes they touch each other more than we would like, and it's not affection, uh, but they are affectionate. But this hug um, was, was one of just pure joy and thankfulness and gratitude. William had found something McCray had thought was lost. McCray showed William his gratitude by giving him this hug. It was, it's possible, though, that when we think about our redemption, we don't see it as something that we just jump up and thank God with gratitude for. It's something that because it's been given, 
Is there anything we really need to do? A little bit like being given an A on the first day of class for the rest of the year. If you've already got the grade, do we really have to do anything? I love the way that the New City Catechism question and answer 34 um, puts it. The the question um, is this. Since we are redeemed by grace alone, by Christ alone, must we still do good works and obey God's word? And the answer is yes, because Christ having redeemed us by his blood also renews us by his spirit so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God so that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits and so that by our godly behavior, others may be one to Christ. Redemption means that we live differently. And by the Holy Spirit, we can live differently. We can do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. And it's not to pay God back. McCray didn't hug William to pay him back. McCray hugged William to say thank you for doing this. We live our lives with gratitude to say thank you to God, not to earn back what God has already given to us. Now, one week ago, our high school students came back from our Mexico mission trip where we had built a a house for a family in need. And in part, we did this in response to all the grace and blessing that God has given to us. But the the truth is, we're not going to build a house every single week. We just can't. Building codes in the United States would not allow us to do that. But there are little things that we can do. In the everyday actions of life, the daily things that we can do we can show gratitude to God for the redemption that we have. And this is, while Ruth is much more more than a good moral story, it does give us ways to live our lives in very practical ways. We see God working in and through small acts that each of the people in this story take, things that would be considered everyday actions. Ruth being faithful to Naomi and staying with her when she went back to Bethlehem. Ruth serving Naomi when she went to the fields of Boaz and took the grain that had fallen on the ground. Ruth didn't have to glean the fields. She could have said, no, I'm not going to do it. Or she could have just kept it for herself. But instead, she gave back to her mother-in-law. When we think about that, it's important for us to ask the question, where in our lives can we show faithfulness and care for other people? What's one thing this week that you can do for someone else? to demonstrate this faithfulness as an act of gratitude to God. And Boaz also in the everyday things showed gratitude to God in the way that he act. Remember, Ruth was an outsider. She was not part of the family of God technically in the eyes of the Israelites. And yet Boaz welcomed her in. He welcomed a marginalized person. He welcomed the outsider. He had an eye and a heart for her and brought her into a place of safety and security so that she could flourish. He protected her from those who might take advantage of a woman in her situation. His heart was turned outward and saw others beyond just the limits of his own clan or tribe. Who in your life would you consider an outcast or a marginalized person? And how might you reach out and care to them? How could you serve those people that you see as being on the outside. And look, I'll be honest, it's easy for me to stand up here and ask these questions. It's probably pretty easy to sit in the seats here and answer the questions. 
But when it comes to living a life of gratitude for the redemption we have in Jesus, it's more than just intellectual agreement or assent. Redemption demands a response. And these responses usually are costly. It will cost us some time. It could cost us reputation. It could cost us financially. And if it's the cost that gets in our way, we need to remember the words of Hebrews 12.3. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because of what Jesus has done, we can bear the cost of working in response to the redemption we have in him. Ruth and Naomi experienced redemption in their circumstances, but they likely never saw the redemption of Israel. They never saw the way that God worked in them and through them to bring about his even greater plan. They never saw God use Ruth's great-grandson to be the king that Israel needed. And they definitely did not see the redemption that came through Jesus. We may never see the full results of our actions, but God works through the big and small ways to bring about the ultimate redemption of his people and of the world. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, they didn't realize the impact of their actions, but God worked through them and they are part of his great story. God's promise of redemption was true for them. It's true for us. And through Jesus, we are redeemed. And because this is true, may we live as redeemed people showing gratitude to God in all areas of our lives by what we do, knowing that God will bring to completion the good work that he has begun in us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the redemption we have in and through you alone. And we ask, Lord, that you will enable us to live a life of gratitude for the redemption that we have in you so that we may thank you and so that others may see the good works that we do, not because we are great people, but because you are a great God and be drawn to you. Please open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord, that we may respond with all of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.